Hello and welcome to episode 101 of The Brand Lounge, the place for unfiltered conversations on big topics for small businesses. I'm Tammy Heels, founder of Shadowcat Creative, where I'm a personal brand and marketing consultant, and I show service-based businesses how to define and grow their business through their brand and strategy. Today, I am joined by Annette Earle, end-of-life planning advocate at her business, Dockleaf Conversations. Thank you so much for joining me today, Annette. Hey, Tammy, it's brilliant to be here. Thank you. And listeners, today, Annette and I are going to be exploring the often unspoken conversation about what you should do in the event that your business outlives you. Now, we often have a plan in place for wrapping up our affairs from a personal perspective. But when it comes to our businesses, how much thought have you actually given to what happens if the unexpected happens to you? The last couple of years, for me at least, have definitely made me realise just how unpredictable the world and our lives can be. And should the worst happen to you, the aftermath that your loved ones are dealing with, the added stress of what to do with your business, especially if those around you have no or little experience of running a business or knowledge of what you actually do day in and day out, it is your responsibility to put some plans in place and to make the process easier for family, clients and business associates alike. So we are going to be talking about lots of the different things that you can consider when it comes to making those plans. Now, I am going to start this episode with a caveat. All of the things that we're going to be talking about today are things that you can consider for your business, but it is by no means legal or financial advice. I would encourage you to seek professional legal advice for yourself and your specific business circumstances. But we are going to cover a lot of elements that you may not have considered before, different approaches that you can take. And all of that will then help you to go onwards and seek the advice that you need. So take the relevant actions that feel right for you and your business and just kind of be absorbed within the conversation and give it some thought if nothing else. So Annette with all of that said let's kick off this conversation and I love to start these episodes by taking it right the way back to basics make sure everyone's on the same page. So what do we mean when we're talking about end-of-life planning and why is it important for business owners? Great questions. End of life planning, it's quite a divisive term, actually, and I can't claim credit for it. But essentially, certainly when I'm speaking about end of life planning, I'm talking about having an answer for really quite a direct question. And that question is, if I had died yesterday, what have I put in place to make the lives of those people around me easier today? So end of life planning in a nutshell is essentially how easy have you made it for someone else to close down your life? I would put a a small caveat in there. End of life planning can also relate to perhaps if you become incapacitated. So there can be occasions where you would not be able to run your your life or your business uh, and people would need to make decisions on your behalf so have you got those plans in place and over all my conversations certainly the last year that I've been doing this I've realized talking to small business owners in particular even those people that do have some plans and some answers to that question when you then ask them great what would happen to your business would the people around you know what to do with it and where to start I think it would be fair to say I am often met with a a blank expression and then this slowly dawning realization that the answer more often than not is no so I think when it comes to end of life planning that phrase has become certainly it, it 
in society over the last 18 months. It's one that's become more commonplace. But I think really the importance is to understand it's a holistic perspective. It's a whole life perspective. And if you're a business owner, then obviously that includes your business and that needs consideration too. Absolutely. And I think it's really interesting because it's difficult to try and keep up with the responsibilities of our ages, I think. So when um, I went through the process of buying a house, that was the first time that I'd ever seriously consider getting life insurance, getting a will. My business didn't even occur to me. Um, it was just one of those things where it's like, it feels quite stressful. It feels, I mean, I'm quite pragmatic with it all. Me and my dad and me and my mum and me and my friends have had conversations around what would happen if we were to to die, if we were to not be able to continue, what, what kind of plans and things we'd had in place. But that's usually like the fun stuff, like, hey, I want a Viking burial and or fiery archers lining the banks <laughs> or whatever else. But when it actually comes to my business, when we first had this conversation and it made me realize that actually no one else has access to any of my accounts, not even my social media accounts currently. I don't have a VA who has access to them. I don't have my bank details anywhere for other people to access. And in all honesty, other than my individual clients who know that they're working with me, I don't share a lot of my client information either. So should anything happen to me, literally, it'd be like I've just dropped off the face of the earth and there's no communication, no steps put in place to help ease that for anyone. My partner doesn't own a business. He wouldn't really be aware of kind of the steps that needed to be taken. I can't even think off the top of my head the sheer volume of things that I would need to consider and having these conversations so so important because I mean like we've said like crisis management needs to be thought of now since the COVID-19 pandemic I think it's really made people realize that we are responsible for more than just the day-to-day and we need to plan for the future even the things that we don't want to happen. Absolutely I think It's really important and it's an uncomfortable, unpalatable truth, but there is no putting off the ultimate end. You know, death comes for everybody and it has a 100% success rate. So when it comes along, that might be open to different interventions, but it is going to happen. So the way I like to think of end of life planning is there are several different aspects to it but ultimately it's an act of compassion because if we are going to be brutally honest and direct and I do think it's a subject that deserves that should something happen to you in your business absolutely uh, your there would be some awkwardness and with your clients and so on ultimately things probably would be okay from your point of view but actually When it comes to doing this work, what I find really helpful is to look at it through the eyes of those other people. So if we may use you as an example, something happens to you today and you're not around tomorrow. Who is likely to be closing down your life personally, but also closing down your business? And the first thing to say is it might not be the same person. So it might be your parents, it might be a sibling, it might be your partner. And this is where legalities come in and they're really important. And I'll touch on that for business in just a second. You said something there that I think is really, really important to touch on. And that's the sheer, this isn't a word, but overwhelmingness of it all. There are so many different moving parts. Where do you even begin? And when you start this work, 
you can feel quite overwhelmed and that can cause inertia. So, you know, you'll do it tomorrow. It's really important that it's just so big, you'll wait until you have time to do it. And that's a really easy trap to fall into. So I think the way to get around that is to break it down. Like any major task in our lives, if you can break it down into just more manageable pieces, then that's a much easier way to go. And whether you're doing this work for your personal life or your professional business life, if you think in terms of your the practicalities, what would need to be done, what accounts would need to be closed and so on, then you would have the legal documents, if there are any, and just thinking about if you don't have those, what needs to be put in place. And then also your wishes. And again, the overlap between personal and business is really quite striking because whatever I say can be applied to both. However, the one thing with business, and it's something to keep in mind through this conversation, when I'm talking about this and thinking of solo business owners, if you are the managing director or CEO of some multinational company, I would like to think that there's a succession plan in place and some business continuity. But if you are a solo business owner, it's different. And we can distill it down further. If you are a sole trader, perhaps you're a freelancer, but you are not incorporated, you don't have your own limited company, you're trading as yourself, that looks a little bit different to if you are incorporated, you are, you know, shadow cap, creative, limited, limited company, whatever it may be, because obviously your business then is a separate legal entity. So when we are looking at practicalities, wishes and legalities, you have to look through the lens of, is my business part of me? And it's just another element someone will need to close down. Or is it in the eyes of the law and HMRC, a separate legal entity, in which case I might need to do some slightly different planning and my answers to some of these questions might be, look a little bit different and that's so important because the number of solo directors of a limited company I've spoken to who have nothing oh, there you go raising your hand <laughs> who have nobody else in place so actually it's not as simple as you know mum getting on the phone to HMRC talking to them about it and again, this is where it comes back to, let's look at the, through the eyes of the other person. Someone has been bereaved. Even if you're incapacitated, there is a loss. And there's now this administrative, perhaps a financial burden, and you don't have the knowledge to fill that gap. And you also are not emotionally in the right place to do so. And that's why this work is so, so important. But considering the legalities of it as well, also really important. It's really interesting. So my assumption, and I am going to be sharing a lot of assumptions on this in the hope that you'll either kind of validate or correct so that other listeners who are out there who may have similar assumptions can kind of learn along with me. Because I did no research before this one. I thought it was really important to go in a little bit blind just because I feel like that is where many people are coming from. So my assumption would be that my accountant might be a good secondary for when it comes to the legal side of things, when it's dealing with HMRC, when it's dealing with companies house, I feel like they would have a good foundational knowledge, not only of business in general, but of my specific business. So would you say that that would be a fair 
a fair assumption? I think it's a fair assumption. I don't know how easily it translates into the legals. What's difficult with this is that we're always going to be playing what if. Yeah. And obviously every individual circumstance is going to be different. So it depends. I will also make some assumptions. You probably use some kind of online accounting system. You presumably share that with your accountant and they have third party access. Perhaps they can submit your returns to HMRC and so on. In which case, I think there's a fair chance that they could do some of this work. Mm -hmm. Two things, though. One, I am willing to bet there'll be some people listening to this who don't actually approach accountancy in that way. They may have an accountant, but they may not have given them third party access to submit returns and um, filing to companies' house and so on. So that's something to consider is that that probably I think it's a reasonable assumption, but it would need to be tested and it wouldn't apply to everybody. The other thing I think that is really important with accountancy is, okay, something happens to you. Who's telling your accountant? Yeah, that's a fair point. I was thinking about that. Do the people in your life (laughs) actually know who your accountant is? Mm. And do they actually, you'll have a separate business bank account. Um, It may well be for most people, they tend to use a different bank to their personal business and personal bank account. So do those people closest to you most likely to have to carry out this work? Do they even know who your business bank account is with? And it may be the answer is yes, but equally, it may be that it's no. That's yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't I've just I'm just so aware the more that we have this conversation of how little I have recorded in one easily accessible place. So I think, yeah, my brain is just kind of fizzing with, oh, okay. So what I need to do is start a spreadsheet that has details of the companies that I'm with. And then I'm sat there thinking, like this morning my payment went out for a random kind of subscription that I have that. I don't have recorded anywhere because I signed up last month because it served me for a month, which, hey, look, I know it might not be the way that every business runs, but I know I'm not going to be alone in this where I'm like, oh, I need to hold a Zoom call with more than three people. I'll pay for a month of premium and then cancel it. But I don't have any of that recorded anywhere either. It would be a case of having to go back through my bank statements for the last couple of months across multiple business accounts because I have two businesses now I have two business accounts and then I have multiple ones under that because I've implemented profit first so I've got a tax account and a profit account and then a savings account and yeah there's a it's it's a bit of a web isn't it (laughs) it it really is and that's where the overwhelm can come in so let's dial that back and go first up you are not alone Mm -hmm. um So all that's happening here is nothing has changed. Everything is exactly as it was before we started this conversation. The only thing that is different is that you now have opened a window and can see into a room that's filled with lots of stuff. And we need to just declutter a little bit, tidy up and organize. And that's all that needs to happen. It's going to take some time. And, you know, it does require some discipline and some motivation and some systematization but actually all this stuff is already true and there are lots of people that haven't thought about it so you're one step ahead of them take comfort in that (laughs) that's for me and all of you listeners out there like we're on our way (laughs) absolutely absolutely and you know what I mean I'm, I'm not really sure if I should admit this or not I'm not sitting here 
in my ivory tower telling you I have got all of this sorted because that wouldn't be true. Um, there are often things that come along and I've sorted something, but then something changes and you subscriptions of any kind with any account. You start them, you stop them, you change them. Um, the amount of accounts that we all open and then forget about, you know, this is true for all of us. And so there is something here about not being a perfectionist. Happily, I'm not one. I think doing your best is good enough. Absolutely. You know, sort of whatever you've done is always going to be valuable, always important, always helpful. But if you go back to the idea of, OK, you've now just looked, peeked through the window of this room with a load of stuff in it, you go, oh, my goodness. I think the most tempting thing is to go, I'll deal with it later. But now imagine it is a parent, it's a child, it's a partner who is peeking through that window and they don't have you to ask, what is this and what should I do with it? Yeah. I think for many people, that's a much scarier thought. And that's when I would say, but actually, we are really fortunate and privileged because now we've realised that's a possible scenario, we can take steps to address it and do it slightly differently. So I think when it comes to the accountancy thing, I would encourage everybody who is using an accountant to have this conversation with them and ask if they have a system in place and what they've done with previous clients, because that will give you a head start. But as a bare minimum, my suggestion would be make sure your accountant knows the names of the people in your life that are important, because it, it may not be obvious from a name alone that they're, you know, they have a relationship with you. Similarly, make sure the people around you know who your accountant is and the best way to contact them, because then you've already set that sort of um, partnership in place. Should it ever be needed? I think one of the best things you can do for those around you is put them in a position where they never have to justify who they are to you. Yeah, that's that's such good advice. Absolutely. And it's easy to forget, isn't it? Because like you'll have casual conversations with people that are in your life and business and you'll mention your partner's name or maybe mention your family. Or if you're anything like me, talk about your dad or your mum without names. They're just mum and dad. <laughs> so it can get complicated. So, OK, cool. So I think like the next thing that I want to talk about is really one of the places to start, I guess, is actually deciding what you would want to happen to your business when should the unexpected happen, you get hit by a bus, hit by a blimp, literally fall off the face of the earth, whatever it is that's happened that has meant that you can no longer continue with your business. And I jotted down a couple of different options just that I was considering, which is that either your business could continue under someone else whether that's a partner or a business friend or a either a personal partner or a business partner, if you're in that situation, it could be that you want the business to close because there isn't anyone else that can take it over. It's a personal brand that you've built that's very much focused around you and you just don't have that relationship with anyone to continue it onwards. Or the option is that you could sell the business if it's in that stage where it is really turning a good profit it would be of interest to other people and then maybe where those costs could go to be allocated to family members or partners children whatever else that you have in your life so I guess like the first step would be actually deciding what would need to happen to your business when you when you pop it <laughs> yeah absolutely and we go back to sole trader type status 
or limited company, because that is going to have a bearing on how you pass a business on or indeed how you close it. So I think it is quite difficult to give a stock answer to this because it is so dependent on the business. I would say there are probably perhaps there are three things to consider and that might help influence which course of action is right for you. So the first would be, does your business have assets and assets in that kind of legal financial sense? So does it have assets in that you are selling products or perhaps you know it might be books it may be courses it might be assets because you have materials and stock or hardware you know if, if you're working in a sort of more in a, a bricks and mortar environment and you're producing things and there's equipment needed to do that it might be that you have property as part of your business so are there assets that would need to be taken care of so that's one consideration because you probably would want those to be sold in some way or other and again that would then depend on whether you have liabilities did they debts need to be paid off etc so that leads you down one particular path the second one which i think is often overlooked is ip what intellectual property so it would be that you probably the person the individual own but what happens to that if you have created a brand but you're a service-based business what does that look like in terms of assets needed to be passed on? So I think there are physical assets and intellectual property type assets, and you may choose to deal with those slightly differently. So that's something to consider as well. And then depending on the nature of your business, if you have clients. So, for example, if you are a counsellor, my understanding is very often because you have supervision as part of your CPD and just good practice, very often there will be something in place with those um, membership organisations that should something happen to you, the people that you are working with, your supervisor would essentially have those details, take them on and perhaps they would find somebody else to work with. But sometimes there are things in place. Um, that I think that's also true for independent financial advisors. So there are lots of professions, especially if they are regulated in some way, that do have processes involved. But I can't say that I've heard of many people ask about them or really know about them. Yeah. So I would say if you have a regulated type profession and you have customers or clients, then it may be something is already in place and you don't necessarily need to worry about that you would just need somebody to tell the professional membership body that this has happened so it depends what your business consists of and then the thing that probably is hardest to quantify how do you feel about your business is your business part of your family it's part of who you are and the idea of somebody else running it would be a problem or would it be that they could run it as long as it was under your name, your branding. The idea of changing that is quite uncomfortable. There are so many considerations, but there's the emotional and then there's the practical. So if, again, you're a limited company, if you have assets that belong to your business rather than you, the person, someone needs the legal ability to be able to do something with it. And all of this, everything that I'm saying, it all comes back to and starts with a conversation. Most of this is what would I like to happen? What is practical and is the easiest path forward for someone 
left behind that they would be able to action and if there is a financial or a legal obligation have I got that covered because if you if something happens to you and the people around you have to follow the letter of the law but you've not it's almost like you've given them this Herculean task but ask them to do it with both hands tied behind their back so where appropriate please seek legal and financial advice because it's just one of those things that you put some plans in place and you hope rather like insurance you never need them but if you do there won't be a single person who would be mad at you for doing so yeah absolutely and whilst you were talking there as well like legally and financially absolutely the emotional side of things when it comes down to the people in our business world which we'll touch on in a in a minute I'd like to talk a little bit around that but also from a confidentiality point of view I was just thinking like a couple of my clients have been photographers so they have photographs of families of business folk of you know, products, causes, services, all of these different things that could have certain implications when it comes down to the confidentiality of the people who are in those photos and what you do with them, where they're stored, how they're processed, are are they destroyed? What happens when it comes to the actual, like the, the source material that you're storing as part of your business, all of that needs to be thought about. Absolutely. And, you know, just to make it crystal clear, again, not a legal expert. So I'm, I want to tread carefully around this. What I would say is that there's nothing that's going to happen that hasn't happened before. It's just that it's not talked about or widely known about so that these answers are out there. I think the way we think about data protection and confidentiality starts with contracts. So most people will have client contracts or B2B contracts that will say in the event of X, Y and Z, generally speaking, they might not have this kind of clause in there. If something happens to me, if something happens as the business owner, this is what's going to happen to all this material. But that's kind of a quick fix. So obviously, you would take legal advice on how to word that. But the answer here is an extra clause in the contract. In the event of something happening to me, your personal details, if you're an active client, are going to be passed on to the person dealing with my estate. Very few people would have a problem with that. They would just want to know what's happened. If it's a contract or a client relationship that has ended, again, depending on the industry you're in, there may be, you know, you need to keep certain details for a certain amount of time, but you can stipulate in your contract what happens should something happen to you or the business. I'm not sure that people are aware that when it comes to GDPR, GDPR dies when you do. So all your data protection rights disappear the moment that you do. But again, there's all this stuff that you've created that continues to exist. So I think it's one of those things that when you realize it, you go, oh my goodness, what if? But actually, certainly going forward, it's a tweak to the contract that you have. And again, take legal advice. And looking backwards, I I think it's a conversation at the same time with that legal professional. Do you go back and let people know, this is what would happen, I've just put this thing in place? It might be that they advise you not to worry about it. I'm really not sure. But I again, it's a conversation and this is not an insurmountable hurdle. It's just one of those things that when you think it for the first time, you go, how have I never considered this before? Yeah. But it's 
kind of, an, I don't want to say it's an easy fix, but it is quite a simple one. Take good advice, update your legal contractual obligations, and that should help going forwards. And again, you've given them legal protection to anyone who needs to deal with this situation should it arise. Brilliant. So I've made a few notes whilst we've been talking, and I think I've boiled it down to like the four different plans that I personally think that I'm going to look at implementing within my business. So my first one is my legal plan. Everything that we've spoken about here, seeking legal advice on contractual obligations, how that works from a functional, practical kind of you know, who deals with what, how does it work, who do I need to inform, who do I need to inform in the event of my death, you know what I mean. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, the second one is a financial plan, because this is something that, again, I appreciate that this isn't specifically your area of legal expertise, but understanding where the costs and money in my business need to go and where they need to be allocated, any business debt I have, how does that get handled? So I feel like that for me would be a conversation with my accountant. So I'm going to go legal help for my legal plan, probably my accountant for my financial plan. Then I've got a communication plan, which would be communicating to not only friends and family or the person that I've allocated as the one who needs to take over kind of the business dealings as such, whoever that may be, but also what do I want my social media accounts to do? Do I want them to just suddenly go dark? Or is there a post that needs to go out? We see this a lot when, unfortunately, sadly, celebrities in particular, or or people with public standing, when their deaths are announced on social media. But it's still important to make sure that you're wrapping up the business communications if they're not going to be continued in a way if your business isn't going to continue, but also your email list or anything else, any clients that you have, any staff members, team members, anything like that, all of them need to have some form of communication. And I guess you could even go as far as scripting out the email template. So you've actually written the email there ready. So whoever it is that needs to take over can just send it. And like with the beautiful, beautiful world of Google Docs, easy to share so I guess again from your perspective as you were saying earlier in it it's kind of how can I make this as easy and painless as possible for the next person that needs to deal with the aftermath of what I have created and then the fourth one that I've put is a step-by-step from the next of kin or whoever takes over from the business that's like you need to do x then you need to do y then you need to do z and that should be it (laughs) I think that's an excellent summary pick up a couple of points if I may. Yeah, absolutely. One is, I'm just, I apologise here and now, it's a soapbox issue and it's the term next of kin. Very, very helpful and everyone knows what we mean by it. Mm -hmm. The thing that I really want to highlight is that next of kin as a term, as a concept, has no legal standing at all. It has no legal power. I think it's helpful in conversation to refer to next of kin but I'd really like to caution people with thinking that whoever their next of kin may be, they do not automatically have the power that you think they do. They have no legal power at all for you or your business. So the way that I, when I'm thinking business stuff, the way I've broken it down, and yours is so much more succinct than mine, (laughs) but I like to think of it as planting acorns, and mostly because I just enjoy playing around with the English language, and uh, it's not terribly exciting, but in my head it works, and so I have six versions. So the AC of acorns is account consolidation, 
And for me, two types. So you've got your technical accounts, all the stuff that's making your business work like Zoom, like your email service provider, like your customer relationship management system, all of those things. Are they documented in a place where I have this account and if it's a paid for one or not? Because for most people, if they've got payments set up, they're probably recurring, just running in the background. Someone would need to know that. Separately, I think of financial accounts as its own thing. Um, and there is overlap because if some of those accounts have a payment, a recurring payment coming out of them, there is an overlap. But I think in dealing with it, you can consider them differently. Shutting down a financial account might be very different from closing, I don't know, a newsletter that you're subscribed to where you just hit unsubscribe. So those are the accounts. Then OR in Acorns is organizing your relationships. Again, broken down into two. And I think of it as your external facing relationships that would be your customers and your clients and so on but also your internal relationships. Even if you're a solo business owner, you might have a VA, you have an accountant, you might have some trusted suppliers, all the things that are working in the back office that you know, the outside world doesn't get to see those relationships. And it might be the messaging of those two is a little bit different and the pathway to informing those people is a little bit different. So that would also include things like networks that you're part of in networking or membership subscriptions to a particular professional body those kinds of things and then the ns is exactly what you said it's the next steps for me this is the legal section and the two documents you want to be thinking of are your will and a business lasting power of attorney so with your will this again comes back to is your business you is it a separate legal entity and if it's the second, and especially if you have, say, a business partner, you know, maybe there are two directors named, it can be helpful, you need to take, uh, you know, proper professional legal advice, but it might be that you need to name your business in your will. And that's actually where you would set out what you want to happen to it. I want to pass this to a family member or a friend. I want it to be sold, but these are the conditions. You know, you can name these things. Naming your business in your will isn't for everybody, but it's something to think about. And again, especially if there are assets and financial assets associated with it, it's part of your estate planning, even if it's a separate legal entity. That is where I think you take that conversation. Talk to a financial advisor, but in particular, a will writer, a solicitor, whoever is making your will. If it needs to be updated, update it because the peace of mind you will get from it is just, you know, you cannot put a value on that. Again, another soapbox issue for me, though, is the business lasting power of attorney because it's a document almost nobody has heard of. Yeah, I've not heard of it before. No. So it's not even that exciting. It is exactly the same as a property and finance LPA. So let me break that down for anyone who may not know. You, the person, you, Tammy, can make two different lasting powers of attorney should you choose to do so. One covers your health and welfare, how you would like to be looked after. The other is property and finance, how you're going to name an attorney and that person is going to decide how to spend the money, essentially. You can choose the same person to look after both. You can choose different people. There's a lot of 
choice and options available here. The thing is, this is muddy water. My understanding, I've not seen it tested, so I don't know, but my understanding, if you're a sole trader, you are your business, but you have a property and finance lasting power of attorney, probably depending on how profitable your business is and the turnover, it's likely your personal attorney could speak to and act on behalf of your business because it's part of you. There's no legal separation. If, as in your case, you have a separate limited company, separate legal entity, and something happens to you, you become incapacitated and you can no longer speak for yourself. Even if you had a personal lasting power of attorney for property and finance, it just covers you. It doesn't cover your business. So that person can make decisions for you and how to, you know, perhaps, you know, how to use money to fund care or something like that. They can't touch the company. They have no legal authority to do so. The way you get around that is you make a business lasting power of attorney. The form is identical, the process is identical, but it's being made for your business as opposed to you, the person. In many, many ways, this is pretty simple. It's fill in a form, pay a registration fee, and you're done. However, I think it needs real special consideration because it may be the person who's right to speak for you, to make decisions for you, the person, is not the right person to act on behalf of your company because they aren't a business person. They've never run a business. They know nothing about business. They might not be comfortable. Not everyone's comfortable with money. So thinking about who gets to make those decisions does require some thought. And I would really strongly encourage anyone thinking about this, definitely, definitely seek some expert advice on this. Business LPAs, anyone who makes wills will probably make lasting powers of attorney. They will know about this process and they will be able to talk you through the questions with your business hat on. And I think it's, you know, it's a protection for your business that could be incredibly powerful. And that would complete your next steps then. So those six different steps and it just means it feels a little bit more manageable. Yeah, I really like that. I think that there's so much that I hadn't considered because I think too often we just sit there and think, well, one, it's not going to happen to me. I mean, fine. Once we get past that and it's like it will inevitably happen at some point or another. So we need to make sure that we're planning for that. But it really does feel like a minefield with knowing where to go and what to do, because part of you is just out there going, well, it's just me. I'm just a solo business owner. My company might be limited, but I did that for this reason and this reason rather than for, you know, from a proper business future planning perspective or whatever else. I've done it for tax reasons rather than future business reasons, which is completely understandable. Like, that's fine. But it's not enough to just sit there and go, right, I'm just going to write it all out in a Word document and just say, like, if I die, this is what I want to happen. Like, there are legalities around it that often feel too big and scary for us to look at. And I mean, like we've been saying, 
this does feel like it could be incredibly overwhelming but I guess like the first thing to start with is understanding the options that are available so I will find a link potentially to some more information around the business lasting power of attorney and did you say it would be someone who deals with wills that would be the best person to approach for that yeah um most people who make wills be they will writers or solicitors Mm -hmm. nine times out of ten they will also make lasting powers of attorney perfect so listeners your first port call your first action is to get in touch with someone to ask if they do these things. So you don't even need to go and book an appointment. You just need to find out who it is that you would go to to set this up. And then I would say maybe what I'm planning on doing, and I'm hoping that this will help break it down for the listeners out there as well, is every time I log into something, I'm going to start a spreadsheet with what the name of that account is. <laughs> like I log into Instagram, I log into Zoom, I log into my business bank accounts of varying natures, I log into my Amazon account or anything else. I think what I'm going to start doing is just jotting down the name of the account just as a first step. I can worry about the rest of the details later. Let's just start taking action because once we start, it does compound and make it easier in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I think old school methods are actually the best here. So I think there are two places that you start. The first is actually identifying the personal people who would need this information because we all take in information differently. We all like to access it differently. Some people are going to want a Google Drive document, other people would like a notebook. So who is that person? And I would go and talk to them as a first step. If something happened to me, it's likely you would need to do something about my business. What do you think, just off the top of your head, because there's no right or wrong answers here, off the top of your head, what are the things you think you would want to know off the get-go? Because I bet number one thing would be finance. It would be bank account and accountant. I need to know what that is. Um, it's money that people will probably worry about in the first instance. Those are the accounts that you deal with first and write down first. And also asking them, would it be helpful for me to write this down for you? Would it be helpful for me to put it in a Word document and email it? I recognise there might be some security implications there but actually you are doing this for you and your peace of mind and making sure that whatever happens to your business is in accordance with your wishes but really what you're doing is making the life easier for that other person so ask them how they think they would like to receive that information and what information they suspect they would want to begin with. And they might be wrong. Hopefully, you will never know. You know, nobody will ever need to ask these questions. But I think if you take it from their point of view, you will capture the most important stuff to begin with. And even doing that, you'll feel so much better. That will motivate you to continue to do the rest of it. That's brilliant. And again, it's coming back around to the fact that your death, although it is the most dramatic thing for you, it doesn't, as far as we're aware, I'm not putting into anything that happens afterwards. I'm not speculating anything like that. But generally speaking, at the end of your life, as far as I am aware, that's kind of it for me. It's everyone else that's going to have to deal with it afterwards. So I very much would like to make sure that everything, including my business, is taken care of because I don't want it to be a hassle for them, which kind of leads me on to the last section that I'd really like to talk to uh, talk to you about, which is more around the people 
aspect because it's easy to think oh well you know it's just the immediate family members around me or my partner or my kids or my cats who I know will miss me dearly but also your clients you need to make sure that you're keeping an up-to-date somewhere of who your current clients are I would assume and then also any other business relationships you have whether they're ongoing or sporadic those are important as well. So how would you kind of recommend this, I guess, fits underneath my communication plan aspect that I had or under your ACORNS methodology. How would you recommend going about without breaching any form of GDPR and all the rest of it, keeping an up-to-date list of those people? I think this might be the number one reason for having a CRM. So I think for some people, it could be it could be a Word document, probably more a spreadsheet, but essentially what we're talking about is a database of details. So I think from a security point of view, it makes an awful lot of sense to use something that already exists in the digital world because you will have covered those things off. In an ideal world, you will find a system that allows third party access to a trusted person. Maybe it's an accountant, maybe it's the person who's going to need to know this information. But I think in terms of keeping it all together in one place, an ideal would be a CRM because then you can differentiate between is this person a client? Is it a supplier? Is it a staff member? There are plenty of businesses out there that might employ just one person. And I think holding that information in one secure place in that sense works. And as I say, it's the best reason I can think of to have a CRM. Failing that... There is actually nothing to stop you with good old pen and paper. Get an address book and what you it's where you keep it. You can write those details down. There's nothing to stop you doing that. If you have it, we will say in a locked filing cabinet and you're working from home. Again, people go away and check what I'm about to say. Please, not legal professional. But my understanding is that if you are working from home, because from an insurance point of view and therefore from, say, a GDPR point of view, your house is locked, hopefully. And because it's in a locked environment, and especially if you're keeping it in something like a filing cabinet, hopefully fire resistant, you have actually satisfied the security requirements for that. Some thought needs to be given to something happens to you. How does a person access those details? You know, if you're going to name, I don't know, we'll say a parent or a child, someone you don't live with to deal with all this stuff, but they don't have access to your home office, that's going to be tricky. So there's something in here around logistics. And again, that's where an electronic system might be better. It might be it's a spreadsheet and it's password protected and in a Dropbox folder. You would need, again, to just ensure that whatever insurance you have taken out for this work continues to cover sort of those practicalities but that's just something that you would need to get checked again write it into the clauses of your contracts and so on in terms of absolute practicalities of doing this though always remember whatever you do is better than nothing if it's on a scrapbook of paper that's hidden under the floorboards that no one else knows about apart from that one person who will need to it still works so it's don't let the perfection of getting everything right holds you back from doing something even if you're just writing down a name even if you're just writing down that and certainly if it's a supplier it's not an issue at all because it's a business relationship no problems there start with wherever feels easiest with wherever it doesn't necessarily feel that there are any legal questions around it it's just starting 
just starting and I would also say do not set aside a whole day to do this kind of work you set aside 20 minutes out of a morning or an afternoon and you focus on one tiny tiny little thing and you start there start with something innocuous here are my subscriptions to I don't know here are the you know all the details for all the networking organizations I'm part of. You just start there because what you'll do is you'll develop a rhythm. What is the information I'm trying to capture? How can I best capture it? And you will develop a system and a process really, really quickly. And then the more difficult and awkward things that you're dealing with will be much easier to deal with if if that makes sense. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Yes, it does make sense. Maybe it's starting with the day to day and building up to the bigger stuff, but making sure that you're putting time aside to deal with it in smaller chunks rather than making an overwhelming task, particularly overwhelming. Um, and like you said, I love the idea of the first protocol would be talking to the person that is most likely to need to pick up all of this and finding out I mean to be honest if I was to go and talk to my other half which I will be doing after this and say if I were to if I were to shuffle off this mortal coil trying to think of all the different ways I can say yes what would be the first thing that you'd want to think about and to be honest I imagine that his answer is going to be I don't know where to start and it's like cool that's helpful because then what I know is anything I can do any step by step I can put in and anything I can do to support that it's going to take that stress away and then I guess yeah it's just finding what works for you and then I would also say that you would need to I'm assuming put time aside fairly regularly maybe annually maybe six monthly just to review the information that you are collecting and putting into place and I know that we also need to talk about the sharing of information because that's something that can be quite tricky so maybe also contact your bank accounts your business bank accounts and find out how people would access that in the event of your death because yeah I mean there's whole other conversations around this around security legality finances but this episode is very much to help inspire you to think about putting steps in place rather than giving you a step-by-step how-to. Yeah, absolutely. Because everyone's how-to is different and everyone's priorities are different. So with the accounts, I, I think if you can help people navigate accounts, you have done a more than excellent job. When it comes to personal end of life planning, one of my big sort of takeaways that I like to give people if you do nothing else, especially if you're living with somebody and you're sharing bills, make sure both your names are on the accounts. There are lots and lots of people out there who have single account named sort of owners on things like their water, electricity, etc. Um, so change that. Make sure you're both on there. And the same is true for bank accounts. So I would say a takeaway here, absolutely. So perhaps in your case, it might be that you can go and talk to your business bank account and just say, in the event something happens to me, this is the person I give you permission to talk to. They don't hold responsibility for what goes on with my account. They're not responsible for the assets and the liabilities, but you have my authorization to talk to them. And what that will do is, should that conversation need to happen, hopefully that person doesn't then have to go through the process of saying who they are, and then being told that we can only talk to the account holder. So anything, and certainly with finance, but any business accounts you have with that, if you can name somebody else on them, or you can get the bank or the organisation to just make a note of authorised people for them to talk to if you're unable to do so, 
that would be a massive, massive help and definitely, I think, a place to start. The other thing to think about, and some people listen and go, yeah, I should do that. And some people are going to go, that is a horrendous idea. And again, I'm going to use you as an example. In your case, you've said you're the solo director. You've got two businesses now. Your partner is not in business and wouldn't know where to start. I don't know that this is a good idea, but something to consider. What if he was a director? of your companies. Important to note that director is not synonymous with shareholder, for example, but as a director, he would then be able probably have some of these conversations more easily. It doesn't mean it's the right way forward, but I think a lot of people would never have given it any thought. And so there are mechanisms that you can utilize to make that sort of transition for him or or somebody else of your choosing a little easier because you've actually granted them the status to be able to carry out some of the actions and obligations that they would need to. That's a really that's a really interesting and important option to be aware of. And I think that that's kind of where this whole conversation is going, isn't it? It's all about understanding the options and possibilities that are out there and appreciating that something is going to be more helpful than nothing. But by all means, I personally feel like now that I'm aware of it and I'm happy to have this conversation and look to my own business, it really does give me that sense of you know what this is actually my responsibility as a business owner and part of being a business owner is making sure that whatever happens to me my business is still in good health because like you said for me in particular where I run a limited company it is a separate entity to me according to the law and I can't just reap the benefits of that as a business owner currently and not take responsibility for that when it comes to the financial and legal practices after me so yeah it's just kind of made me more aware I think and I yeah I feel like this is a conversation where we could always find more to talk about but this is just somewhere to kick it off so this is somewhere where we're starting this conversation bringing it to awareness for the listeners if we get lots of comments then maybe you can come back maybe we can do a bit more of a Q&A or something like that or we can direct them of course over to your channels where you talk about this all the time but let's wrap it up for now and leave it kind of I feel like we've covered an awful lot. So from everything that we have discussed today, what would be the one key piece of advice that you'd like to share with the listeners for them to take action on? I think the most important thing is giving somebody the ability and accessibility to be able to carry out your wishes when it comes to your business. And I think it's a fair assumption to say most people conduct businesses online certainly in some capacity these days, and that your business information is probably in different places, but all of it electronically. So the one key takeaway that I'd like to offer, but I will say it comes with a caveat, is to actually share the means, which is often by way of password, to your business world. So be that a a business laptop or you know wherever you keep your business information, make sure someone can access that. And the reason it's caveated is because if you do nothing else, so for the purposes of this example, all your stuff is online, it's all over the place, but actually be it Google, Apple, whoever, LastPass, there is a password manager out there remembering all your accounts and passwords, and it is all done through your computer. If you just share access to the computer with that one trusted person, even if you do nothing else, even if it's too overwhelming and there's just too much of it and you don't know where to start, 
what you've actually done is enable them to have a fighting chance should they need to do so. It means they could go into your social media accounts, delete them, archive them, whatever they choose to do. It means that they can see what's going on with your emails and they go, oh, that's something that I need to follow up with. That's somebody I need to talk to. The problem is that with a lot of these sites, even though there is nothing wrong with sharing your passwords with someone you trust and there's nothing unlawful about doing so, with many of these sites, you will be breaking terms and conditions if somebody logs into them as you. And that's something to really think about. And I'm not here to tell people they must do that or they should do that. What I would say is that right now, the explosion of the internet and online business is something that globally, lawyers have not been able to keep up with, policymakers have not been able to keep up with, and even the really big companies like the social media companies are not quite sure what to do with the accounts of people who are dead. It's an ongoing conversation and there are lots of academics looking at it as well, but there are no answers. So I think it's a personal decision as to what would you like done with all of this information and who is likely to be doing it and at least give them the means to be able to figure out what, you know, the, the playing field that they're dealing with. Even if they don't take action, they can at least look to see what's going on. And that's really, really helpful. And it's one tiny thing. It's going to take you all of 30 seconds as long as you have that trusted person in your life. And the gift you would be potentially giving is just immeasurable. I think that that's, yeah, I can, it's such a tricky conversation because of course we we don't want to encourage people to go banding their passwords around, anything like that. And of course, relationships change as well. So something, you're responsible for your own shit, but this is kind of a recommendation in a way of, or a suggestion that you could take. I guess the alternative, if you really aren't keen on sharing your passwords at all, is when you're jotting down all of the different accounts you have, maybe include the generic support email address or the account handler's uh, email address so that if you have an email ready to go to say this person is now deceased, they are an ex-parent, they are an ex-business owner, could you please stop their account? This is their email address. At least then you have some form of access. Might not work, might work who knows like you said it is such a gray area but again I think we're just coming back around to exactly like you were saying earlier something is better than nothing when it comes to helping people deal with the fallout after you have passed on so all of that said I think that there is plenty more that the listeners can learn from you and all of your advice and that so where can they find more of you online? So I, I kind of hang out in a few different places I am relatively active you can find me on Facebook and LinkedIn and I do dabble in Twitter but in truth I am an email sort of person and I have a website which is annetteearl.com you can easily find me through that or just emailing me annette at annetteearl.com because I just I you know really enjoy one-to-one conversations and if I can help and support in any way 
then it's always a privilege to be able to do so. Fantastic. Thank you so, so much for joining me today, Annette. It's been such an insightful conversation on such an unspoken subject. And I think that it really is important that we are at least aware of the idea and the options that are available to us. So thank you. Oh, thank you, Tammy. I've had such a great time today. I'm so pleased. Such a great time talking about what happens when we pop our clogs. I would rather have a say in my own life and end of it than leave it to someone else. Oh, 100% absolutely agree. And listeners, I hope that you found value from today's episode. I hope that it's made you kind of think about what you could do or what you should do or what you might do. And even if you just take that one action today to make it easier for someone, should you get hit by a bus, then I think that it's been a worthwhile listen. Be sure to come back here on Thursday when Annette will be sharing her business journey in her brand story episode and until then I'd love to hear your thoughts about this what kind of action it's inspired you to take so come and join our community over on Instagram and as always all the links are in the show notes and I'll see you in the brand lounge